Hello, sports fans, and welcome to another edition of Yesterday Sports on the Sports History Network. And make sure to check out sportshistorynetwork.com slash giveaways. I have two signed books I'm giving away. One is titled No Nonsense Old School Weight Training, and the other is Reliving 1970s Old School Football. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hello, old sports, and welcome to another episode of the Hello, Old Sports podcast on the Sports History Network. Thank you for joining us for the fourth in a series of six episodes in which we are naming the all-time starting nines for various teams in Major League Baseball. We've done the National League East. We've done the National League Central. We've done the American League West. And today we are on to the American League Central. And I am Dan Newman, and I am joined as always by my co-host and brother, Andrew Newman. Andrew, how are you doing? I'm all right, Dan. You know, full disclosure, we just did the NL East episode. Uh, tempers flared. There was some words exchanged. We had to take a, a bit of a cool down period. The, uh, you know, the lights were shut off. I, were you sitting in the dark recovering? I came back into the my little office area and the lights were off down in your uh, your room. First of all, that's not true. And second of all, Anybody who didn't listen to that episode first is going to go running to listen to that one and just get oh, the lights were off. Oh, did I turn the lights off? The lights were off. Yeah, oh, I always um, I always turn the lights off when I leave rooms. It's one of my good habits. So uh, um, I wonder where you got wonder where you got that from. <laughs> um, do, you, do you open the door to the basement 12 times a day, even though nobody's been down there all day to see if the lights are off? Less than 12, but yes, I do, because frankly, my wife is not good at turning off the basement light when she comes upstairs. So I, I do do that with some frequency. Absolutely. So, all right. Um, So AL Central today, we got uh three teams that kind of go back all the way to the founding of the American League and have been in that city under that branding, although the, the Cleveland you know, Indians recently became the Guardians, but, you know, by and large have been that team for 120 years. We've got one team that does go back to the beginning of the American League in 1901, but then switched identities sort of halfway through and went from the Washington Senators to the Minnesota Twins. And then we got the Kansas City Royals who didn't come in until 1969. So we've got four old teams, uh, not super old because nobody goes back to the 19th century and then one newer team to experiment with today. So I think they've all been fun, but I think this might be a fun little group to do today. Yeah. And just, you know, like we've talked about before, this is probably one of the easiest ones to trace the uh, trace the lineage. Like you mentioned, White Sox, Tigers, Indians slash Guardians last couple of years are obviously the, the same teams. They've always been Kansas City Royals have only ever been the Kansas City Royals uh, and then the Twins. When we did uh, the AL West and we talked about the Twins had a piece of the Senators, just the the last iteration of the Senators, which or the Rangers rather, excuse me. The Rangers had the the 60s version of the Senators, basically. Well, the Twins have the historical 
senators. So the senators that existed from the beginning of the 20th century all the way up until 1960 when they moved to Minnesota. So it will be much more of a factor, although frankly, not as much as it should be for a team that existed for that long. Mm-hmm. Um, they will be a little bit more of a factor uh, when that comes time. But, you know, the um, AL Central is uh, is another division that has a lot of classic uh, classic teams to it. So, you know, we got we got a nice cross section of, uh, of of teams here, I think. And what we do at the end is we rank them one to five and then we, you know, obviously number one will then we what we'll do is when we get to number um, to the last episode, we'll then rank the the six division winners one to six. So, so far, uh, number one in the NL Central was the Cardinals. Number one in the AL West was unsurprisingly the Oakland Athletics. And then number one in the NL East was the Atlanta Braves. And that was a a, a very spirited discussion at the end between actually three teams. I tried to make a little bit of a case for the the Expos Nationals franchise. And so we'll see which team is going to join those three in our in our winners round, so to speak. I believe, Andrew, that you started us off last time. So maybe I'll start us off this time, if that's all right with you. Yeah, that's all right with me. So you go ahead and pick. All right, I'm going to pick the Detroit Tigers. And I'm going to go with the catcher, Bill Freehan. First base, Hank Greenberg. Second base, Charlie Geringer. Shortstop is Alan Trammell. Third base is Miguel Cabrera. The outfield is going to be Al Kaline, Ty Cobb, and Wahoo Sam Crawford, a teammate of Cobb's in the early 20th century. And then my pitcher is going to be Hal Newhouse, Hal Newhouser, who pitched for the Tigers in the 1940s and early 50s. We got nine Hall of Famers there, or eight Hall of Famers, and or no, actually, I'm sorry, we don't, because Freehand's not a Hall of Famer. So you got seven Hall of Famers and one who will be one day, and then you got Bill Freehand, but a very, very solid team, I would say. What What are your thoughts? So we're very, very similar. Um, I Freehand at catcher, I had Cochran. Most of his better years were with Philly, Kirk Gibson. You know, that's I feel like that would be more about name value in a moment. And that moment wasn't even when he was a tiger. You, Kirk Gibson, where you don't mean a catcher, right? You just mean on the team. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mm-hmm. First base, Hank Greenberg. I we're in agreement on everything. I wrote that Miguel Cabrera at third is a little bit cheating. Because he did not play a ton of third, I don't believe, as a Tiger. I'm going to pull this up. It's funny because we just recorded the Marlins episode where we talked about Miguel Cabrera. But I want to pull up his appearances as a third baseman um, with the Tigers. And he played. Let's see. He had some seasons. His first, he, he played in 2012 and 2013. He was a full-time third baseman. 14 uh, No, he played 10 games at third base in 2014. Oh, you're right. I'm sorry. So it was only um, two seasons. I'm, uh, I'm looking at, uh, so who did, who did they bring in that year? Was it, uh, was that when they brought in Prince Fielder? I bet it was. And so the, the, the to be quick, the only one we had a in pitcher, I had Newhauser as well. I thought Verlander would be a more of a lock, but as I looked, I realized that you know Newhauser was a two-time MVP. 
Now it does come with the caveat that it was 1944 and 1945, largely considered the two years of the lowest quality of baseball in the 20th century, or maybe 43 and 44, because technically the war ended in 45, but you know, two very low eras, but still, you know what I mean? So mm-hmm. I, I did have the only place we differed was that I went with Harry Heilman as the second or as the third outfielder instead of Sam Crawford. Um, and I, I have a feeling this is a discussion we can get into, but we're in agreement on everything else. So I did also look at Verlander and actually Verlander won an MVP. Also, it, it is, it is really close. Let me look, let Mm. me find the comparison here. And it, it pitching can be tough to compare across Mm. eras and, I'm not a I'm not a statistical expert. I'm much more of a, you know, I, I like the, the 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 stories part and sort of the moments part of sports history rather than the the statistical analysis. But it is it is very close between between the two here. Um, Newhouser and Verlander. Newhouser, fifteen seasons. Verlander, I believe it's yeah, thirteen years with the Tigers. Newhouser gets in and wins and ERA slightly higher war 61 versus 54. A lot of this can probably be just be attributed to the fact that, you know, guys pitched a lot more often in those days. So yeah, it's look, it's close. It is really close between Newhouser and Verlander. I don't know. We've already done, as we discussed, we've already done the AL West. So maybe I was a little bit prejudiced by the fact that I wanted to see we already had Verlander with the Astros, and maybe I just wanted to give somebody else a chance. It's also worth noting that even though Verlander had this amazing career in twenty uh, with the Tigers, and his best season as a pro was twenty eleven when he won the Triple Crown in the American League for pitching, leading in strike, led all of baseball in both WAR or sorry in both strikeouts and wins twenty four and five. He won twenty four of his thirty four starts that year. And he also led the American League in ERA. So he was won the pitching triple crown, was named Cy Young and MVP, which is rare for a guy to a pitcher to do ever. Two of his three Cy Young awards have actually been with the mm-hmm. Astros. So it's not as though his whole sort of like you alluded to, he he's had some years that added to his legacy that were not that were with the Astros rather than the Tigers and also both of his uh, championships will now have been with the Astros. God, I'm sorry. The best God, stretch of his the best stretch of his career was with the Astros. It absolutely was. Yeah. Especially if you take out the years he was just injured and missed the pretty much whole seasons, it was very very mm-hmm. much with the Astros. So we're we're comfortable so- with Newhouser. Um and we were basically the same everywhere else. I was comfortable with moving Cabrera to third base because it does get a little bit light there. Another Hall of Famer named George Kell, but he was uh he played for five different teams about half his career was with the Tigers. Believe I believe George Kell actually also spent some time in Pittsburgh, so he was not a lifelong Tiger. So I was comfortable going with Cabrera who's hit 318 with or he, this is actually even a couple years old. Um so he's he, he's probably let me, let me pull up his um let me pull up his uh his Tiger stats real quick just to talk a little bit about 
Miguel Cabrera because Cabrera is interesting. He's one of those guys. It's like he's going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. He's still playing, and it's just like nobody ever talks about the guy. And while you're pulling that up, I'll I'll just mention I, I mentioned at the top of the last episode that you know I checked a few different sources for this baseball reference. Obviously, Baseball Egg did their version of a starting nine, and then I mentioned that there was a Yahoo uh, a writer for Yahoo who did a, a similar thing with the starting teams, and he kind of equivocated where he said he was doing everybody, and yeah, he put Babe Ruth on the Yankees team, but when it came time. He would all of a sudden invoke, oh, I'm trying not to put guys from the dead ball era, or I'm trying not to put guys from the pre-integration era in. And as I get to this Tigers one, I'm like, oh, here we go. Because this will be an episode one time, but while Ty Cobb could by no means be considered a progressive guy for this era or any era he lived in this idea that somehow ty cobb was singularly the most racist man who ever lived is just not consistent with any primary source reality so i was waiting to read this guy say well i'm not putting ty cobb in because he was a horrible human being and then quoting a fictional scenario in fields of dreams which a lot of guys do Mm -hmm. um And to be honest, he just said, Ty Cobb next, like Ty Cobb next. I was like, oh, all right. Well, he's right about that. So again, kind of an aside why uh, vamped while you put up the stats. But do you have what you were looking for now? Yeah, just on Cabrera real quick. I just wanted to say what he said or say what he did in his time with the Tigers. He's he's in his 16th year with the Tigers. I don't know if he's announced his retirement, but I think it's sort of understood. He has. He has has announced it. Okay, he's 40 years of age. 370 home runs, 1338, batting average 305. Guy, he only played 53 games this season. The guy's not playing. He's not playing every day. And I, they, I'm pretty sure they, they stink this year, right? Aren't they pretty? Yeah, they're 42. Tigers, they're, they're 42. They're not as horrible. As, they've they're, been horrible for a while, but they're not as horrible as they could be this year. And Cabrera, back to back MVPs, 13 and 14, including a triple crown season in what year did he win the triple crown is his first of two MVP years in 2012, their world series year. He, he was the triple crown winner with 40. So they had a pitching triple crown winner. They had three seasons where the tigers got the MVP with Verlander and then Cabrera and back-to-back seasons. What first year with a pitching triple crown and the second year with a, um, a batting triple crown, which hadn't happened. I believe there hadn't been a batting triple crown since Yastrzemski in 67. So mm-hmm. I just, I couldn't, Given the op- alternatives, I couldn't leave either Cabrera or Greenberg off. I feel like I needed them both on there. So that just leaves us with, and I actually had Harry Heilman and I crossed him out and put Sam Crawford. It is really, really close. Both played 15 years with the team. Heilman war of 67.6, Crawford 63.5. Uh, you know, I might have to give this to you. I'm, I'm not going to look at home runs because. Crawford played although, in the dead ball era. Go ahead. Although to be fair, Heilman started in the dead ball era and you know started out hitting two, five, five, eight home runs. And then while not a power hitter, jumped up to 19, 21, 18. So was able to transition to a different era. Mm-hmm. In 1921, he had 139 RBIs in 1921. The other thing I want to look at with these two guys, and I know this isn't 
Crawford was on the teams that made it to the World Series three years in a row with Cobb in the late 1900s. Heilman played from 16 to 29. So he was on some some okay tire uh, Tigers teams, but nobody who made the nobody who made the World Series or anything like that. What I want to look at here is the sort of okay, Heilman won four batting titles. At, he had know, four. That, he hit four hundred in uh, in twenty three. He hit four hundred three. He hit three ninety four. He had a stretch of three ninety four, three fifty six, four hundred three, three forty six, three ninety three, three sixty seven, three ninety eight in nineteen twenty seven, and actually, in his last year with Detroit, hit three forty four in nineteen twenty nine at thirty four years old. Yeah, Crawford led the league in RBIs four times and yeah, and actually led the league in home runs with 16 in 1901. Well, but that wasn't even with Detroit, that was with the Cincinnati Reds. Um yeah, it's Heilman. I my first instinct was correct. Mm. I'd I'd crossed out Heilman and put Crawford and I, I shouldn't have done that. So we are uh we were basically in agreement with one thing that Andrew had to kind of bring me back to reality on. So that's, and incidentally, we won't get to get into it too much, but Bill Freehand had a really interesting career. Um, great defensive catcher for the Detroit Tigers played for a very long time, passed away, I believe in 2020. I remember we covered him on an in memoriam, uh, one of those years. So our, our, our starting lineup for the Tigers, Bill Freehand, Hank Greenberg, Charlie Geringer, Miguel Cabrera, Alan Trammell, Ty Cobb, Al Kaline, Harry Heilman, and Hal Newhauser. Kind of interesting that uh, they did overlap for about two years in 1916 and 1917. So just kind of interesting that as Crawford's career was ending, Newhauser's, or not Newhauser, sorry, uh, Heilman's was beginning. So a little bit of an overlap. There's a guy who wrote a book about Crawford and Heilman, and there might have even been a third guy, or it might have just been those two, basically about the great Detroit Tiger outfielders of the early 20th century who played in the shadow of Ty Cobb. It might have actually been called in Ty Cobb's shadow or something like that. So I don't know. I got to say that's um that's a pretty good, you know, to use a golf analogy, that's a good score for the first guy to head into the clubhouse. That that's a, that's a solid performance for these next four teams to try and have to match with. Yeah, that's you're right. That's going to be one where um they sit it's not like uh we'll get to a fourth or fifth team and be like oh they blow everybody out of the water they're gonna set the pace i mean there's a few right off the top that i look and go okay they're not gonna catch them but i'm not gonna rule out that somebody might catch them um was my turn now indeed let's go with the white Sox. um and here's what i have catcher sherm waller first base frank thomas Second base, Eddie Collins. Shortstop, Luke Appling. Third base, Robin Ventura. And then the outfielders, Minnie Minoso, Harold Baines, Shoeless Joe Jackson, and Ed Walsh. Eight for nine. This is a good do mix. Not, do you not have Jackson because any player who sits in concert? <laughs> no. I, if you had gone first, I was going to say that, but... but. <laughs> No, you had me. I mean, there's Eddie Collins, one of the great players of the dead ball era, uh, great second baseman. Luke Appling, 
not really known for his power, but a really good uh, offensive and defensive shortstop for the White Sox in the 20s and 30s, or uh, more like more like 30s and 40s, I should say. Uh, yeah, 30 to 50, I believe, was his career. Robin Ventura is a little bit of the weak link, but he had some hot, some solid years with the White Sox. Frank Thomas, obviously, his best years. I believe Thomas went back to back MVPs in the 90s, if I'm not, if I'm remembering that correctly. I had right. I had Jackson. I had Baines. I had Mini Minioso, who we he's since passed away, but we just saw him last year inducted into the Hall of Fame when, when your my wife Allison and I and Andrew went up and saw the uh the Hall of Fame induction last year. You gotta go with Big Ed Walsh as the pitcher, known among other things for having a really good spitball. My one difference, I went Carlton Fisk instead of Lawler. And that was close. That's one that was a, a debate. Yeah. So by the way, yeah, uh, Thomas won the MVP in 93 and the strike short in 94 season. So he was uh, the MVP both of those years and then finished in the top. He finished third in 90. So between 91 and 97, he finished first, third or eighth in the MVP every one of those years and then finished second. That's actually pretty crazy. He finished second in the MVP in 2000, like that much later when he was in his, uh, he was 32 when he finished second in the MVP in 2000. And Jesus, I know this won't count, but you know, he finished fourth in the MVP in 2006 when he was with Oakland at 38 years old. No, I didn't. That must've been, that must've been a heck of a year for him. So he, in 2039 home runs yet. He won a ring with the White Sox that year, but didn't he wasn't a huge part of that team, but he did win a ring. He then he went to not only did he was he not a big part of the team, he was hurt for mm-hmm. like he didn't play in the postseason in that um in that his um I'm trying, let me see if I can pull up his game logs. My baseball references moving kind of slow for me tonight for some reason. Oh, there we go. Um, He didn't play in a game that year after July 20th. And I think he actually like threw the first pitch out in the world series or something. So it, I think it was widely even understood during that season that his, um, his white Sox career was over. Although, like you said, mm-hmm. and he went to Oakland and, and had a hell of a year, at least one year in, in 2006, uh, yeah, he he was weird. He went from Oakland to Toronto and then back to Oakland in those last three years of his career. So, um, yeah, so he's great. So I, I guess the one thing we want to talk about is this Carlton Fisk, Sherm Lawler thing. Sherm Lawler, who actually starts his career, and we've talked about him a little bit when we did our episode on the, the Go-Go White Sox, the 59 team, starts his career with the Yankees uh, in 1947, actually starts his career with Cleveland the year before, but then He's a Yankee for a couple years and actually plays in the World Series a couple games because Yogi Berra is uh, being tortured on the base paths by Jackie Robinson, among others. So they, they actually start Lawler in a couple games in that 47 World Series. And then once it becomes clear that Yogi is going to be the catcher of the future, Lawler goes to the Browns and then has his best years with the White Sox, wins three gold glove awards. He's an all-star well, he's an all-star in seven different seasons. There's a couple of those years of those double all-star mm-hmm. years. So I think baseball reference that lists him, I think, is a 10-time all-star, nine-time all-star. But but he makes it in seven, seven distinct 
seasons. Now he only six out of seven years with the White Sox between 54 and 60. He's an all star. The only year he's not in there is 58 or excuse me, 57. He's not an all star. He wins the first three gold gloves at catcher. Um, they, yeah, they do. Um, they do, uh, they, they do just major league gold gloves for the first year. And then after that, they move to, to both leagues and he wins the first three 57, 58 and 59. So you can argue that he probably would have won a few, although Barra might've won a few in the fifties also, but he won the first three gold gloves at catcher that were there to win. I'm guessing. And it's funny too. The other guy that, that neither one of us mentioned was Ray Schalk, who was the catcher on the black Sox. He was the one of the guys who was, who was clean, but nonetheless, he was one of the, one of the black Sox in the hall of fame. He was with the, he was with the white Sox for a full on 17 years. So let me take a look at this. 13 years for Fisk, 12 years for Sherm Lawler. War is very close, 28 versus 26. More home runs for Fisk, 214 to 124. Uh, Lawler's got a slightly higher higher batting average, 265 versus 257. I know that Fisk's sort of most memorable years were with the Red Sox. I, I think I still sort of feel inclined to push for him. I don't know. What are your thoughts? And yeah, Fisk, I by think the way, that... Fisk's only Go gold ahead. glove in his whole career is 1972 as a rookie with the Red Sox. So Lollard better defensively. You know, I think as a kid, I thought Fisk was only on the White Sox at the very end of his career. And really, he's on the White Sox starting in the early 80s, isn't he? He's there from like he is 81. there from 81 all the way until he retires in the middle of the 93 season. So all are part of 13 seasons. So he's there for quite a while. So, you know, I'm, I'm fine with that. I, I did think when I looked, it was close. So I am willing to go with Fisk. Um, you know, as I look at this team, this is a pretty good team. You know, Joe, I, I looked extra hard at Joe Jackson because I was concerned that this is an interesting and actually I looked really hard at Joe Jackson twice because when we do Cleveland people had him in the all-time teams for Cleveland too. I want to ask you a question on this and so it's it, it's actually funny because it's been in the news lately again with the the Titanic where it's like if the Titanic never sank would people today have heard of it? And I think the answer is no. If Joe Jackson, if the 1919 White Sox thing never happens, but Joe Jackson, you know, he has another few, like, where would Joe Jackson's career be regarded? Because sometimes I can't tell, is he underrated? Is he overrated because of what happened? And then obviously all the different media that's come out of it after that. Was he a generational player, really, or was he just a pretty good player or a great player, but not, you know what I mean? I do. So I guess there's sort of two questions there and not to be too philosophical. Really asking two questions here. (laughs) (laughs) So the first question is, would he be remembered in sort of the popular conscious 
And I think, no, I think that he would not be, he wouldn't be Cobb. Now, part of the reason why Cobb gets remembered is because of the off the field stuff, which as you mentioned, even some of that is not entirely accurate, but nonetheless, he wouldn't be known in the pantheon. Even if you put aside the off the field stuff, he wouldn't be in, he wouldn't be in the same pantheon as a Cobb where when, when they named the 50 greatest athletes, not baseball, the 50 greatest athletes of the 20th century, Ty Cobb was like number 20. He was up there with Jim Brown and Michael Jordan and, you know, Gretzky and, you know, Babe Didrikson and Zaharias. He wouldn't be on that level. I think among baseball people, he would still be remembered because he, I mean, first of all, I think he's what he's, is he second or third all time in batting average with 356? Now, the chances are he's fourth all time, fourth all time with a 356 average. Now, the, the interesting thing about that is, oh, and I guess he was third for a lot of years. And then with the inclusion of Negro League statistics, Oscar Charleston has moved into second. So he's third or fourth, depending on, on how you want to look at it. But he, he's obviously he's well up there. So there's that piece of it. Now, obviously, batting average, unlike the under statistics, is something that can go down as time goes on, not up. So, but this is a guy starting with his first full years in the majors 408, 395, 373, 338, 308 uh, in 1915 when he was split between two teams, but then back up to 341, 301, 354, 351. And then also, Guy has a hell of a year in 1920 before he gets kicked out of the game for life. That's 382 at 32 years of age, 20 triples, 12 homers, 121 RBIs. I'd be curious to see. I'm guessing that first in the league in RBIs in 1920, first in the American League, almost had to be Babe Ruth. But let me see if I can pull up the Yankees. Yeah. Yeah, that 1920 season. So he was fourth in the American League in RBIs that year. And let me try and see if I can. Okay, so so it was Ruth and then a tie. Two guys on the St. Louis Browns, George Sisler and a guy by the name of Baby Doll Jacobson, who was another outfielder for the Browns. And then one behind those two guys was Jackson with 121. And when you consider the fact that Jackson was suspended for the last three games of the season, when the scandal finally broke, he probably would have gotten an RBI at some point. So he would have been at worst <clears throat> tied for second. I think he would be like a speaker or I was a, just about to say, would you consider him on the level of Tris speaker? Yeah. Where I mean, people who know what they're talking about historically say, yes, he's one of the best players ever, but he's not somebody that, even a diehard sports fan, but not a sports history fan knows about. I think that's exactly what he would be. I think he would be a Tris speaker. He would be a, um, Honus Wagner might be a little more popular, but like, nah, yeah. he's not honest. He'd be a speak. I'm talking about more like just like remembrances. <laughs> I think he'd be like a speaker or a, um, I mean, Rogers Hornsby again, Hornsby might be the best second baseman of all time, but he'd be on that level as far as how he was remembered in the popular conscience. So, and, tr yeah. and truthfully, yeah. again, rightly or wrongly popular conscience wise, even without the scandal the nickname might bump him a little bit because he still had that nickname. Yeah, no, that's true. I mean, I think there's probably a reason why it's the Cy Young award and not the Christy Matthewson award or the Walter Johnson award. So yeah, I think nicknames do play a role.
All right. So Sorry, that was a little bit of a diversion, but I just figured it was, you know, it was a the most likely time we were ever going to get to go over it. So, yeah, I think you're right. All right. So it's my turn. We're on our third of five. And uh, maybe we just want to rip the Band-Aid off here and go with the Kansas City Royals. Sure, let's do that. So I went catcher Salvador Perez, first baseman Mike Sweeney, player on the team in the 90s, second baseman Frank White. I went George Brett at third base, the one sort of superstar on this team. Shortstop Freddie Patek, a teammate of Brett's in the 70s and 80s. And then for the outfield, I went Amos Otis, Willie Wilson, and Alex Gordon. And the pitcher was Brett Saberhagen. And this was sort of, um, this is a weak team. This is a pretty weak team. It's a weak team, but the thing I want to point out, again, this is a franchise that's been around, you know, 50, 60 years, whatever it is at this point, I guess 60 at this point, or closer to that. They've had a couple of really good eras. Obviously, the team in the 70s was a really, really good team that had some, you know, the majority of this team comes from that era. You know, maybe oh, there was always the sense how maybe they should have won a little bit. You know, they should have been a little bit better because the Yankees kept beating them in the ALCS and then they got to the World Series in 80 and lost. Ultimately, they won in, what, 85, but that was a slightly different team. And then, to be honest, they're an example of a team I use as like, I don't know, maybe maybe this sounds weird, but like, it was really cool that they had that two years where they were a good team and they got to a World Series and they lost to the Giants in 14. And it was like, well, that was their chance. And then they went back the next year and won it. And I just, I don't know. I, I vote, maybe it was because I was there in May of 14 when people were like, oh, this team might actually be decent. And then they won, won the pennant that year and went to game seven of the World Series. As much as it's not a good franchise, I mean, they, they've had some moments. We agree on eight of the nine. Saberhagen, you know, the pitching, there's a bunch of guys you could consider, but I ultimately went with Saberhagen. You look at his numbers and yeah, I mean, I think Saberhagen is pretty far and away. I mean, the guy won two Cy Youngs for them and, and was uh, also won the World Series with them in 85. I, I think he's far and away the guy, frankly. OK, the outfield is pretty much just the 70s outfield, right? Uh, Wilson and McCray and uh, Amos Otis. No, I had uh, Alex Gordon. I didn't have Hal McCray. Oh, you didn't have Hal McCray? No, I had Alex right, Gordon. I'm sur- all right, so we, we agreed on seven of the nine. So, And who did you have at shortstop? Freddie Patek. Okay, so I had Hal McCray as my third outfielder, and I had Alcides Escobar as my shortstop. You know, of the modern era guys, Perez is a no-brainer. I saw some people try to knock Mike Sweeney because he was on those really bad Royals teams, but, like, I don't know. I don't feel like you would knock a guy for being on really bad teams from the – 100 years ago so it's not really fair to knock a guy for being on bad teams in the modern era you know what i mean yeah, five-time all-star i don't think there's another five-time all-star that you'd be replacing him with on was well, he gonna knock gonna knock ted williams for not being on a lot you know for not being on really really good red sox teams i know it's not a fair comparison but like so I guess we should compare the, the shortstops and the outfielders and uh, and the third outfielder and uh, come to a consensus there, right? Yeah, so here's what I looked at. And again, war is not disqualifying. I get that. But Freddie Patek, he was an all-star three times. Escobar has only been an all-star once. 
Escobar in eight years with the team had a, a 9.2 war. Let me just verify that on baseball reference to make sure that the, the book I'm looking at includes that last. Okay. Sorry. So eight years, a 10.1 war, according to this Patek is basically double that it's nine years and a 20.4 war. So basically double the war in the same amount of time. Patek also stole three consecutive years. He stole bases 49, 51, 53. So a good base runner. I don't think that Alcides Escobar really comes anywhere near that. Now his high, <clears throat> his highest 31. So not terrible, but his highest 31. Patek, did, did I say whether he won a gold glove or not? Um, I don't think he, let me check Patek if he ever won a gold glove. I don't think he did. Escobar's got one. Patek never had one. So you want to maybe give the slight edge there to, to Escobar, but yeah, I, I'm I'm pretty confident that Freddie Patek should probably be the guy. All right, and, and I'll I'll give you that one. Not even give you that one. You're you're correct on that one. And then outfield, I have McCray's numbers up. We're basically going to do the opposite here now, where you're going to argue for the the guy from the '80s, and I'm going to argue for the more modern guy. I had Alex Gordon. Okay, um, so let me pull up Gordon here. Entire career with the Royals from 2007 to 2020, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight gold gloves, never an all-star. I'm guessing that Hal McCray just blows his, um, blows his uh, offensive numbers out of the water. Give me, give me McCray's offensive totals with the Royals. Uh, All right. So, 15 years with the Royals, four years with Cincinnati. I'm just trying to get this correct. So his batting average in 15 with the Royals was 293. He had 169 RBI or 169 home runs, 1,012 RBIs, on base percentage 356, slugging percentage 458. Let me get the the WAR number here. If you just give me one second. War would be 27, or see, that's the total 27.6 in 15 years. Let me see. Let me pull up Gordon's war. War is Gordon is 10.1. I'm sorry. No, he's 8.1 in eight years. All right. Yeah. You got me. It's Hal McCray. I maybe I just was like, maybe I just subconsciously wanted to get another guy because the only guy we have from that, um, from that team now since, since, since I, I took it from you on Escobar. We have basically seven guys from the George Brett era, which lasted a long time. To be fair, we have one guy from the nineties and then we got Salvador Perez from that championship team. So yeah, George Brett era. Really? Is he? Yeah. Brett was on those teams in the eighties. Yeah. All right. I mean, I, I, the George Brett era, I guess when I'm thinking of like this, the seventies teams as that era, you know, yeah, Saberhaven, right. I think, got there in like 84, 83, 84. But yeah, so yeah, so I think we, you know, and I'm glad we do have uh we do have Perez there because he obviously he was a very, very good player for them for for a long time. He was the MVP of the World Series that they won in 2015. And I and I shouldn't even refer to this guy in the past tense. He's still on the team. So um, in fact, he was yeah. an all he was an all-star this year. So Sorry to Salvador Perez, but yeah, I mean, hey, Salvador Perez, 
one, two, three, four, five, six, eight time all star world series MVP, one, two, three, four, five, five gold gloves. Is he a, a hall of famer? Probably not, but that's a, that's a heck of a career, especially with the Kansas city Royals. So our, our Royals lineup, uh, Salvador Perez, Mike Sweeney, Frank white, George Brett, Freddie Patek, Amos Otis, Willie Wilson, Hal McRae, and Brett Saberhagen. And we've got two to go. So we get the Senators Twins and the Indians slash Guardians. I guess I'll go with the Senators slash Twins. So I went with catcher Joe Maurer, first baseman Harmon Killebrew, second baseman Rod Carew, shortstop George McBride, third baseman Gary Gaetti. And then in my outfield, I have Kirby Puckett, Tony Oliva, Sam Rice, and then my pitcher is Walter Johnson. Okay, so you're pretty evenly split between twins and um, senators. Who is yeah, your probably more twins, but who is your shortstop? George McBride. Okay. All right. Let's talk first. And George McBride was a was a senator, right? Yeah, he was a, a very early senator. All right, so let's start with shortstop. On, real quick, he was on the Senators from 1908 to 1920. Okay, so a shortstop for the Senators slash Twins. I went with Joe Cronin, who played with the team for only seven years, but he was the player before he moved on. He played the end of his career with the Red Sox. He was the player manager on their final World Series team in 1933. They made the World Series. They lost. Um, he was a, I guess, only a, well, the World Series didn't start, or the All-Star game didn't start for 33, but he was the AL shortstop in the first three All-Star games, 33, 34, and 35. Only played seven years with Washington, but is in the Hall of Fame. Let me pull up. McBride here because I'm I guessing... think I'm wrong on this to be honest I, I don't think I'm I think I'm gonna jump ship here <laughs> I kind of I kind of thought so yeah McBride 13 years 22.8 war um 221 batting average um steals a bunch of bases 116 bases which is well I mean that's that's less than 10 a year um I don't know his his home runs are, are really impressive uh during his time with the senators he manages five home runs <laughs> in his 13 years as a washington senator so it sounds like you are willing to go with uh with cronin on that one yeah i i'm assuming i saw that somewhere and decided it was a good idea i really as you're saying it i'm like yes that's cronin is the correct answer here so i had mauer i had carew I had Walter Johnson. That's obviously a no-brainer. For my money, Walter Johnson's the best pitcher of all time. Uh, give me your outfielders again, because I want to tell you what I did with the infield, and I think, I, I think I'll probably win. And who was your third baseman? Gary Gaetti. Okay, well, let me tell you what I did in the infield. We'll do that last. Let's, let's go outfield first. My outfield was Puckett, Oliva, and Sam Rice. Okay, so I had Puckett greatest twin of all time. I had Tony Oliva, 
who was the star for the Twins of the early 60s, early to mid 60s, those World Series teams, the guy we just saw, another guy we saw inducted, and he's still alive. So we saw him and got to see him interviewed and everything last year at the uh, Baseball Hall of Fame induction in the summer of 2022. So that was really cool. So we both were sort of thinking the same thing here. You went with, and the other guy I would mention that I at least think was worth mentioning, even though neither one of us had it, was Tory Hunter who won what gold gloves in center field every year for a decade and was sort of a mainstay of those halfway decent tw- twins teams at the beginning of the century. So didn't consider him seriously, but I thought he was worth mentioning. Okay. So Sam Rice played 19 years with the senators, all but his final years. He was a career three twenty three hitter only hit 33 home runs in his entire career in 19 seasons. He's got and plus he steals 346 bases. So that's not so bad either. In 19 years, he's had a 52.7 war with the Senators. Mm-hmm. I went with G- Goose Goslin, who played for some different teams. He actually was on the Senators in the 1920s when they won the World Series in 24. With That was Walter Johnson finally got a championship. And then again in 25, when they lost the World Series to Pittsburgh, he disappeared. He was, I think, with the Browns for a couple of years and then came back to the Senators for only one year in 1933 and helped take them to the pennant, then immediately left for Detroit and played in two more World Series. He, in 12 years, has a 43.2 war. So his average war per year is um, is better than Sam Rice. Average is 323, which let me go back and look at Rice here. I think that might be the same number. Yeah, they both hit 323 in their career with the franchise. Gosselin's a bigger home run hitter. He's got 127 fewer steals. You know, this is so close. Um, They both are like in the, well, Gosselin's got like a one game, one game of war per year higher. It looks like Rice's comes out to about 2.5 and Gosselin comes out to about 3.5. Which years was Sam Rice on the team? 15 to 33. So, he was there for all of the years too. He was there for the world championship. He was there for the, I I think it's really close. I, I guess maybe if we want to go with Sam Rice, because he was on the team the whole time and didn't sort of mm. scatter around. I, I'm, I'm willing to go with that with you. All right. Yeah, all right. you're right. I, th- I think it is close, but all right. So let's stick with the, um, the senators here for a second, because you had Harmon Killebrew at first base. Yes. I had Killebrew at third because he played a decent amount of third in his career. Let me look here and just make sure this isn't one where I'm really shoehorning it in. Uh, well, I'm pulling it up as well. Uh, third base. <sighs> You're right. You know what? That's enough. I, it's close, but I say that's enough. Yeah. So 15. And you know what? Here's the thing, too, I would say about Killebrew. It looks to me like he kind of is able to go back and forth. So he plays basically all of 59 at third base. And then he's mostly first base in the outfield. But then they must have you know, brought in somebody in 69. He plays more at third than he does at first in 70. He's almost predominantly third base. 
So this is it's not like, OK, he played it a little bit at the beginning of his career. Plus, he played outfield, first base and third. So it's almost like since he played all three, I'm comfortable slotting him in at any of the three because he was a guy whose whole career could move around. And the fact that he did it both early and late in his career makes me think that it wasn't just something that he did for a couple seasons at the beginning of the end. It, it, it worked for him. I think that's fair. I'm, I'm, I'm fine moving him to third. OK, so then. That bumps Gary Gaetti, and we need a um a, f- a first baseman. And mm. I went with a guy who's got a name that might recognize you might recognize, but probably not the same guy. I went with a guy from the Washington Senators of the 1920s and early 30s by the name of Joe Judge, who was the starting first baseman on the Washington senators in the 1920s was the starting first baseman on the team that made it to the world series and won it in 24 and then made it back and lost the following year. So I went with him. Let me just, um, let me just pull him up real quick. 18 years with the franchise 47 war, not a power hitter, only 71 home runs, but an average of two ninety nine. So, I'm comfortable with him getting the nod. He didn't really play. His last year was 33 or 34. So he didn't play in the all-star era, but my guess is he would have been one several times. So I'm comfortable with bumping Gary Gaetti, sliding Killebrew in at third, and making Joe Judge the first baseman. Yeah, I think that makes sense, especially if if we're able to move Killebrew, then yeah, that's that's probably the best way to go. All right, so Joe Maurer, Joe Judge, Rod Carew, Harmon Killebrew, Joe Cronin, Goose Goslin. Oh, no, I'm sorry. We went with Sam Rice, not Goose Goslin. Sam Rice, Tony Oliva, Kirby Puckett, and Walter Johnson. Three Joes, about half twins, half uh, half senators. So a, a solid team, and that brings us only down to one. Yes, that is the uh, Cleveland Indians slash Guardians, and I guess Naps in there for a while. Correct. And it's my turn. And here's mm-hmm. where I went. Catcher, I went with Sandy Alomar Jr. First mm-hmm. baseman, Jim Tomey. Second baseman, Napoleon Lajouet. Third base, I went with Al Rosen, 50s, later GM of the Yankees. Shortstop, Lou Boudreau. Outfield, I probably went a little more modern than you might think. I went with Tris Speaker. And then I went with Kenny Lofton and I went with Albert Bell. And then my picture hmm. was Bob Feller. All right. Um, so I went with the two older outfielders and a more recent third baseman than you. The rest of them were in agreement on. So we're in agreement on six out of the nine. Third base, I went with Jose Ramirez over Al Rosen. Jose Ramirez, who's on the still currently on Cleveland, and I'm pulling up his numbers now just so we can uh, just so we can compare. He's been on the team since 2013, so he's been in the league 11 years. Although 2013, he was only there 15 games. He has already been an All Star one, two, three, four, five times. That does not include 2012. He wouldn't have been an all-star in 2020 because there was no all-star game, but he finished second in the MVP voting in 2020. Already his war is, let's see what his war is. His war is already 43.8 in 11 seasons. 
not 11 complete seasons yet because he's still playing this year. You know, again, if he if 2020 had had an all-star game, he'd be an all-star six of the last seven years. Batting average 279, home runs 206, RBI 720, on base percentage 355. Yeah, I think you sold me. I think this is one of those where maybe I was looking at, you know, older things and didn't, you know, didn't realize that maybe it was written when Ramirez was, um, you know, four, 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 four years ago. So Ramirez's career hadn't rounded out yet. Plus, the guy's only 30 years of age, so he might do more with Cleveland before his career is up. Al Rosen plays his entire 10 year career with the Indians, although. Two of those years are seven and five. And then actually even the year after that is 23. So he doesn't reach his rookie limits until uh, 1950 uh, at 28 year, 26 years of age. He's got a war of 32.3 with the Indians, but 10.1 of that come from this astronomical 1953 MVP mm-hmm. season that he has where he looks like damn near wins the triple crown because he's home runs 43 RBIs 145 highest in all of baseball and then his batting average is 336 and just for the just for the fun of it let me see where he was on the batting average list so he was 53 okay he was second in the AL in batting average in 1953 behind Mickey Vernon with the Washington Senators who's actually a guy considered for the last team I would imagine, you know, he almost wins a triple crown, which would probably make him even more impressive. Hard to do more than win the MVP, but nonetheless. So that is sort of a long drawn out way of saying that I am with you on Jose Ramirez. I do think that maybe I overblew Rosen based on basically one monster year. So, all right. So it sounds to me, you said our infield and catcher are all the same, right? Alomar, Tomei. Lajue, Ramirez, and Boudreaux. If we agree on uh, Ramirez, then yes. yes, we do. We do. Miller is obviously pitcher, and we agree on speaker. The other two, and I'm willing to be probably talked out of at least one of these, but I did have Larry Doby and then Earl, and I'll admit my ignorance here. Is it Averill or Avril? I've heard it both ways. Okay, I had the two of them as my two outfielders. Which is, it's, I'm not going to argue too hard against Kenny Lofton because I love Kenny Lofton. He's one of my favorite like players who, I mean, technically he was a Yankee, but he was one of my favorite players who never played for my team. Averill was on the team for 10 years or 11 years, 29 to 39. He was an all-star every year starting in 33 when the all-star game started. He was a war of, with Cleveland, his war was, where are we, show advanced batting. His war war oh no, hang on. Sorry, I thought I had it. Uh war of fifty-one point three with Cleveland from twenty-nine to thirty-nine. Batting average with Cleveland was three twenty-two, uh, hundred and twenty-one home run, or excuse me, two hundred and twenty-six home runs and a thousand and eighty-four RBIs. High watermark for home runs would have been what 32 in 30 1931 and 1932. Early 30s was really his best time. Ended up 140 RB 143 RBIs in 1931. You know, really had a, a pretty prolonged period, seven, eight, nine years where he was a, a very, very productive offensive player. 
All right. So I think actually we can knock Albert Bell off right away. I was really impressed by his power numbers. And, you know, I maybe just the fact. Was it long enough? It was only eight years. And I think a few of those years were like before he bulked up some mysterious way and started really hitting home runs. Eight years. War was only 27.3. So that's less than four a year. He obviously 93 has a really good year. 95. He should have been MVP, but because the writers all hated him. 95 and in a shortened season. What was that? 144 game season. I think that was guy hits 50 home runs with 126 RBIs. My guess is. So let me just look that up. That war of his is in the, the the high 20s. And I'd be willing to bet that's sort of like I was just talking about for Al Rosen. I'd be willing to bet that a, a pretty big chunk of that war in his Cleveland years is from that one season yet. Well, 7.0. And then a couple in the 5.7. Yeah. So his, and his years, like you said, he, he barely, he comes up in 89, but then he barely plays. He only plays nine games in 90. And then after that, he gets decent. So yeah, we leads the league in RBIs three times leagues it in homers once decent batting averages. He's putting up two, three fifty seven in 1994. So nothing to sneeze at, but you're right. Maybe just not long enough. So, I'm I'm comfortable with knocking him off. So now we're between Kenny Lofton, Larry Doby, and mm-hmm. Earl Averill. All three predominantly center fielders. And this book that I have, the, the the Tom Stone book, let me let me show you what it's got here. Ten years for Lofton with a war of 48-5. Eleven years for Averill with a war of 47-9. Ten years for Doby with a war of 43-4. So that's like basically. 4.8 a year for Lofton, about 4.3-ish a year for Averill, and about 4.3 for Doby. So they're really close. Averill's got the best batting average with 322. He's got the best home runs with 226. In fact, he's got more home runs than than Bell. Oh, no, he's got close with Bell. Bell had 242. So I think I, I got to give in to you on Earl Averill because he... Um, He's got the highest average. He's got just as many, almost as many home runs as Bell. His war is right there. So now it's between Kenny Lofton and Larry Doby. Now, Larry Doby obviously is an inspiring story, integrates the American League. I'm inclined to give this to Lofton. He's only got about... 40% of the home runs that Larry Doby has. That wasn't his game, though. But the war is better. The average is 14 points higher. And he's got 10 times as many stolen bases. He's got 452 stolen bases. So as much as it seems strange to knock off a Hall of Famer for a, a non-Hall of Famer, I and incidentally, I think Kenny Lofton belongs in the Hall of Fame, but that's a, a conversation for a different time. I feel like I got to push a little bit for Kenny Lofton here. Yeah, four gold gloves as well. I, I'm not going to put up any kind of a fight. I'm good with Lofton. So our Cleveland Indians slash Guardians slash Naps, and we have to say Naps because that was they were called that because one of the guys who's on the team, Sandy Alomar Jr., Jim Tomey, Napoleon Lajouet, Jose Ramirez, Lou Boudreau, Tris Speaker, who we'll probably talk more about Speaker when we get to Boston in a little couple months, 
Kenny Lofton, Earl Averill, and Bob Feller. And that's another, in my opinion, really, really solid team. We've been doing this for a few hours now, and I, we're probably getting to the end of our, our energy level here. But why don't we real quick, we, we got to rank these um, Kansas City's five. We're, we're, we're easy. To, yeah. I think we, we can say that. Kansas City's five. We'd have to look. They might be the best five. But so far, they're five. I don't know how we want to go about splitting these because these are all, when you factor in that the Twins carry the Senators, these are all original American League teams, you know, going all the way back to the 1900s. Now, the Senators weren't a tremendously good team, but they had some really good players. And then the Twins had some really good players. I guess who would be, if we think about four and three, I guess the way you look at it is who is definitely not one of those four. So real quick, Mm -hmm. the White Sox, Tigers, and Twins all have eight Hall of Famers. Cleveland has, well, Cleveland has six. And that one of those three that's not a Hall of Famer is Lofton. I think Cleveland probably falls to four. I, I do think they do. It, it's close. Bob Feller was a, one of the greatest pitchers of all time, would have been higher on the all-time list if it hadn't been for, I think he missed four full seasons uh, during World War II. Speaker, one of the greatest outfielders of all time, but he's um, he does a lot of that in Boston. Alomar, great defensive catcher, but he's not going to the Hall of Fame, or he's not going, yeah, he's not going to the Hall of Fame. We talked about Lofton. Lou Boudreaux is one of those weaker Hall of Fame types. And Jose Ramirez, based on what he's put forward, he's a very good player, but he's probably not going to the Hall of Fame. So I, I think I'm comfortable with Cleveland at four. Okay. All right. That leaves the White Sox, the Senators, and the Twins. And I'm looking up and down. And and also, I, tough. Good. well, here's a question. Do you think Joe Maurer goes to the Hall of Fame one day? I mean, he already had his chance, probably, and didn't get voted in, I would think. When did he retire? I'm going to look that up. Hang on. He won an MVP in batting titles. Three batting titles as a catcher. Retired in 2018. So if he was on the ballot, he just went on the ballot. Yeah, and sort of his, his monitor numbers have him probably coming up just short. I'm going to work backwards here for a second. I think Detroit is one. Yeah, I mean, if you look, the the only place you would find a little weakness with Detroit comparatively is pitcher. But, you know, Greenberg, Geringer, Cabrera, who most of his career was with Detroit, Mm -hmm. Cobb, Mm -hmm. who's an all-time great, Al Kaline, Harry Heilman. I think you're right that Detroit is probably one. And I think that because he played his whole career in Detroit, and you know, was not a highlight guy. Al Kaline maybe doesn't get the 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 accolades he might deserve. He's an 18 time All Star now. Again, a couple of those are during the double All Star season, so you have to discount that. But the guy played forever. First of all, he played from played 22 seasons, won a World Title with the Tigers in '68, 10 Gold Gloves. Won a batting title. He's got 399 career home runs. He's one we, another guy who passed away in 2020 that we talked about in our in memoriam. Cabrera, like I said, is sort of quietly putting up a, a, a Hall of Fame career. Greenberg didn't have a ton of longevity, but was 
one of the great first basemen of all time, neck and neck with Lou Gehrig for a while in the 30s, 58 home runs in 1934. So I'm comfortable with Detroit at one. The rest of this, and we ended up going Fisk for the White Sox, right? We did, yeah. We did, okay. Hmm, this is close. It's very, very close. This is close. I'm just trying, I'm looking here for weak links. And the one who sort of stands out immediately is Robin Ventura. Although is Joe Judge that much better? Mm -hmm. And then on the other side of the coin, itching. Walter Johnson's an all-time great. Not that none of these, most of these guys are all-time great. So I'm talking about like pan. The only two real pantheon legends here in my book are Johnson and possibly Eddie Collins. Jackson played a bunch of his career elsewhere. Joe Jackson. So did Baines. Even Minnie Minoso, I think, did. I'd go with Minnesota, too. Senators, Minnesota. Okay. Minnesota, too. That is not what I would have thought would have been where we came out. We won't do it, or at least we won't do it anytime soon, but it'd be interesting to see how this was different if we were looking at full rosters versus just the the starting nines. But yeah, I mean, for the second episode in a row, a team that spent a lot of time in Washington, D.C. surprised me with how solid their nine was. So Detroit Tigers, Freehan, Greenberg, Geringer, Cabrera, Trammell, Cobb, Kaline, Heilman, Newhauser. Join with the Atlanta Braves and the Oakland Athletics and the St. Louis Cardinals. And maybe just because we haven't gone long enough tonight, I'll just let me just give those lineups real quick. St. Louis is Molina, Pujols, Hornsby, Ken Boyer, Ozzie Smith, Musial, Slaughter, Brock, and Gibson. The A's, Cochran, Jimmy Fox, Eddie Collins, Home Run Baker, Burt Campanaris, Al Simmons, Ricky Henderson, Reggie Jackson, Lesty Grove. The Braves are Joe Torre, Freddie Freeman, Ozzie Albies, Eddie Matthews, Robert Moranville, Hank Aaron, Andrew Jones, Dale Murphy, Warren Spahn, and then the Tigers, who we just did. Freehand, Hank Greenberg, Charlie Geringer, Alan Trammell, Mickey Cabrera, Ty Cobb, Al Kaline, Harry Heilman, and Hal Newshauser. And so we have two more divisions to do. I think our plan is to probably do those sometime in the fall, early fall, you know, September-ish, so we can wrap this up by the time the baseball season is wrapping up. And I think, you know, in a lot of ways, we saved the two most fun ones for the for last because we got the AL East with the Yankees, Red Sox, and Orioles, three longstanding franchises. And then we've got the National League West with three newer franchises, but then the the Dodgers and the Giants, which obviously are going to be a lot of fun. Well, the, the way I look at it, the Rockies and the Diamondbacks will be kind of tough. Although there's some history there. Uh, Tampa Bay is very interesting with the way they've done things. Toronto's got a little bit of history. The Padres. Then you get the Orioles and the Browns, but the Browns weren't very good, but the Yankees, the Red Sox, the Dodgers, and the Giants. Um, you know, I, I I will leave an open mind on the NL West, whether it's going to be the Dodgers or the Giants. Ultimately, my initial initial gut is that it'll be the Dodgers. But you know, as I think the Dodgers are going, the Giants are going to have Willie Mays. They're going to have Christy Mathewson. 
And then in the American League, the Red Sox will be very, very good, but it's going to be the Yankees. And then, you know, we'll we'll see where we are in the top six. Uh, but I would think that, you know, with the, if we're going to do it by league, if the competition's the A's and the Tigers, the Yankees will be beating them out. And then it'll be a question of the National League, whether it's the Cardinals, whether it's the Dodgers, whether it's the Giants, you know, but uh, this has been fun. Absolutely. All right. Well, thank you for joining us for this episode and the last one. And frankly, for for all of our episodes that we do, because we we cover everything on Hello Old Sports lists, stories, you name it. So until we catch up again for the next episode, I'm Dan Newman. And I'm Andrew Newman. Goodbye, Old Sports. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hey there, Sports History fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. With every race, every qualifying run, and every pit stop, Tim Coffeen would feel the pressure and excitement. With his own podcast on the Sports History Network called Tim Coffeen Talks IndyCar and Racing History, Tim will share those very same racing emotions and memories with his listeners. Learn, laugh, and enjoy the world of IndyCar racing through the eyes of Tim Coffeen. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to Sports historynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.